1: From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you enjoyed a great weekend. We're back in action now. Many of you, if you play football, if you play soccer, uh, you're back in college. I mean, you're basically reporting for camp, so your summer's over. If you're coaching, the same thing. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, for the rest of us who are not uh, college athletes or high school athletes, we are, uh, have three more weeks left, of, uh, two more weeks left of August, and we get into Labor Day. So we're going to cherish every moment. But the news has not stopped. I don't know how you take a moment off. I know I can't. So we have Alan Dershowitz to unwind the legal obstacles that might remain in front of the former president of the United States. Senator Ron Johnson at the bottom of the arrow. So let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Congressional Budget Act uh, office, which is nonpartisan, said that there would be a negligible impact on inflation this year. Isn't it almost Orwellian? How can you call it Inflation Reduction Act no. when the nonpartisan experts say it's not?
2: It's uh, so true. Jonathan Karl with a great question to Karine Jean-Pierre. Inflation reduction bill is a green boondoggle and now Dems beginning to admit... It makes us more subservient to China because we're all about green energy. They got the rare earth. Yes, victory for the Democrats, no doubt about it. And their agenda, absolutely. But what about for the country?
4: Number two.
5: Does the president regret the decision that he made to pull the United States out of, out of that country?
6: Absolutely not. We were faced with a choice of continuing a forever war, continuing to send our sons and daughters over to die in Afghanistan.
5: Sickening.
2: Kate Benningfield. One year since the disastrous, calamitous, embarrassing exit from Afghanistan and the White House still trying to spin it and sell us that it was successful. Not here as we focus on the State Department and White House whose decisions humiliated a generation of great war fighters while left America and our allies behind enemy lines.
4: Number
5: one.
7: What about our emails? Do Democrats now believe that that mishandling of classified information is as serious as we should all think it is. We should think it's serious when Hillary does it. We should think this is serious.
2: Uh, Sarah Isgar, an often critic of the Trump administration who was once a member of it, Brings up a great point. Mar-a-Lago raid exposes that there were items that needed to be returned, but unclear why they could not have been obtained through talks. Also, now the FBI is being accused of taking Trump's personal papers, according to attorney-client privilege. And it's still unclear why the warrant, why the raid, as the national uh, anger boils over. Uh, Meanwhile, before we bring in our first guest, special thanks to KXEX, 1550 AM in Fresno, California, uh, talk radio fifteen fifty. The best talk in town is picking up the uh, Brian Kilmeade show. So we're privileged to have it. We love the presence on the West Coast. Thanks so much, Alan Dershowitz, professor uh, at Harvard University, author of numerous best-selling books, including the latest, "The Price of Principle: Why Integrity Is Worth the Consequences." Joins us now, uh, Professor. Welcome back.
8: Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be on with you, Brian.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, you, you wrote a column about what? What aboutism? is not just a slogan or political phrase. It really matters here when it comes to the rate at Mar-a-Lago, in what respect?
8: Well, my whole book, *The Price of Principle*, is about how we have to put principle over partisanship. And one principle that we have in the law is equal protection. Even uh, Attorney General Garland talked about even-handedness, and then didn't explain why a search warrant was necessary for mar when it wasn't necessary for Hillary Clinton's house. Uh, yeah, they did search emails that were found on Anthony Weiner's uh, uh, server, but no, no criminal investigation, no criminal investigation of Sandy Berger. Both of those Democrats are friends of mine. I like them i 'm glad they weren 't prosecuted. But the same standard has to apply to Donald Trump unless they can prove that Donald Trump had greater intent than Sandy Berger, who stuffed the classified material into his sock or you know a greater degree of negligence than Hillary Clinton. can't have one standard for Democrats and another standard for Republicans. So the argument, uh, you know, what about ism is a damn good argument. What about ism? You're allowed to ask that question. And unless and until the question is answered, we can't be assured that we have even handed protection of the law.
2: Look, uh, on surface, with all the issues that the president had leading me after January 6th, I don't know why he wanted any paperwork. I mean, he's not into setting up a library uh, that I know of. But he took a bunch of things. I'm watching these looks like 20-something-year-olds with file boxes walking to Marine One. I don't think the president was saying, take this, take this, don't take this, don't take this. Obviously, if you want to unwind, you know the president well, and you've seen him in office more than I've seen. I've only seen him there a couple of times. You know the way he runs off. do Do you think for a second that he's saying to himself, I need all this, I need all that? And when they asked for 15 boxes back, they did. And it's got confirmed, Professor Dershowitz, that he walked in on June 2nd or 6th, I forgot which day it was, when the, when the archives people and the FBI counter Counterterror were meeting, he said, guys, you're doing a great job. Just want to thank you. Any help I could be, uh, let me know. Yep. And he went back to his daily work. Both, there was two sources that reflected that. How did we get to this yep. in August?
8: Well, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. They, sh- they issued a subpoena. They were negotiating the subpoena. If they didn't like the way the negotiations went, it's very simple. You go to court and enforce the subpoena. At that point, the judge says, bring it to me. I'll go through everything. Oh, this is privileged lawyer-client. Oh, this was never classified. Oh, this was declassified. This may have a different privilege, maybe uh, uh, invoking the Fifth Amendment as to production. Uh, You can't uh, make a person produce something if the very act of production is incriminating. But instead of going through that usual legal process, which Attorney General Garland said is the standard procedure. You always look for the less intrusive method, unless it's absolutely necessary, to use a search. And he had this press conference. I like Garland. I supported him for the Supreme Court. And yet, why not explain the difference? Why did you need to go to a search warrant? Why not enforce the subpoena? That's the way it's generally done. It's part of a bigger process. When you arrest Peter Navarro, you have to put him in handcuffs, and you have to put him in shackles, a manafort. You have to put him in jail, stone. You have to arrest. When my clients, white-collar political clients, are indicted, I'll get a phone call from the Justice Department saying, well, Alan, come on, uh, your client's been indicted, can you bring him in tomorrow? I say, no, tomorrow's a busy day. Oh, then bring him in on Wednesday or Thursday, no problem. He'll get a rain, bail will be set, and then we'll have a trial. That's the way you deal with it. You don't go to the airport with a family being there, put him in shackles. That is not even-handed justice. And so, you know, in my book, The Price of Principle, I go through all these standards and go through all the principles that we've stood for and how they're being violated over and over again. And I tell the story of, in my case, I mean, Caroline Kennedy, the daughter of the president of the United States, was invited to a dinner party with me on Martha's Vineyard And she tells me, if I knew you were invited, I would never have accepted the invitation because you defended President uh, Trump. And people do that to me all the time. The library has banned me here. The library hasn't had any of my books since I defended President Trump, a public paid library. That's putting partisanship over principle.
2: No kidding. Uh, and, and you didn't because you still uh, you consider yourself a Democrat, that, a liberal yes. Democrat. And you just said, OK, this is right or wrong. And that was it. And yeah. you appreciate the president's stand uh, on Israel. And that's the one thing that on, brought you and to on,
8: And on many other issues yeah. on foreign policy, he did a very good job. I don't support his views on gay marriage, on a woman's right to choose, on sure. reasonable gun control, on climate control. We have differences. We can talk about those differences. There used to be a day when I would get on television with William Buckley, and we would debate issues like that, the economy, socialism versus capitalism. And then we would have a drink and talk afterward and agree to disagree. You know, we were both civil libertarians. Today, you can't have a discussion. If you don't agree on President Trump, then you're regarded as a pariah, at least where I live in Martha's Vineyard. And so, you know, nobody's talking to me and my library won't let me speak and, you know, all of that. And that's what I write about in The Price of Principle. The price is very expensive. I have a thick skin, as you know. I've been on your show. Uh, My wife, is being picked on. My children are being picked on. They didn't even necessarily agree with my stance on President Trump. But you know, when McCarthyites come after you, they come after your
2: family as well. Meanwhile, didn't you? Haven't you defended people that were perceived to be murderers?
8: Oh, of course. And I also right. defended President Clinton. Yeah. I also defended uh, G- Governor Edwards. I also defended Alan Cranston, the Democratic senator. In fact, Trump was the only Republican. <laughs> I have ever it's defended amazing. that I can remember in a political situation and of course I've defended O.J. Simpson, I defended. I had I think I've had 35 homicide cases and I've won like 32 of them and you know people complain that I let murderers out on the street. I've never had one who's done a a, a serious crime again. But uh nobody ever stopped talking to me over murderers. Nobody ever stopped talking to me over other serious criminals. It's only Trump who of course has never been charged with a crime.
2: It's amazing. You know what, Alan, In the beginning, you could be a little sad about it. or and I, After a while, you got to get mad. And you got to go, these are never oh, my I'm real mad. friends anyway. <laughs> I mean.
8: Yeah. I mean. Yeah, no, I'm mad. Look, I had yeah. a wonderful – last night we had a wonderful uh, dinner at our house in which we had very prominent people came and we all talked. It was great. I still have some very, very good friends. But, They're your real friends. You know, the fair-weather fair friends are the ones right. that I no longer want to have anything to do with. They were never friends. If they don't support you because of politics, how could they be friends?
2: Uh, Lastly, I just want to get back to this case. Here's Dan Abrams on This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Sure. Uh, He's outlined the case. Cut five.
3: The first question becomes, what were they doing there? Was the number one concern pursuing potential criminal charges, or was the number one concern getting the stuff back? And I think when you're talking about evaluating this through a legal prism, the fundamental question is going to be intentionality. How much do they believe that they did this on purpose? Were they intentionally ignoring subpoenas? Were they literally destroying documents or mutilating, as one of the statute refers to? Uh, were they concealing?
2: These are good questions, right? I mean, do you have an answer no, to any of
3: them? They're
8: not good questions because you can't use a search warrant to get things back. That's against the law. The oh, I didn't Amendment know that. Provide, yeah, you could only use a search warrant to produce but evidence of criminal behavior. But if didn't they want they to take get it, it back, you use a subpoena.
2: But didn't they take it, uh, Professor?
8: They can because they take it as evidence of a crime. That's the reason for a search warrant. There are other mechanisms for getting things back, and those were the mechanisms that were first employed, uh, subpoena. And you can get other judicial mechanisms to retrieve things and get them back, but uh, you can only use a search warrant if you have probable cause for believing a crime has been committed and there is evidence of that crime that you're entitled to seize. And the process of the Justice Department has almost always been don't go for a broad search warrant if you can get the material by subpoena. And they were in the process of trying to get the material by subpoena. They didn't like the way the negotiations went. Fine, go to court and enforce the subpoena. That's the way it's supposed to be done. So, you know, I think there's going to be some legal ramifications here. I hope that the affidavit is ultimately released. And I hope that Attorney General Garland, who I like, will explain why they couldn't go by subpoena. Remember, nobody was touching those materials. They were in boxes in the basement behind locks. Nobody alleges that there were attempts to try to destroy them or do anything else. And if, if, if there was, that would have to be in the affidavit. Let's see the affidavit. I doubt right. there's going to be any allegations of destruction.
2: Can you uh, define for me the uh, – I stand corrected on that uh, – espion, uh, the Espionage Act. I always thought well, an Espionage Act was if I have if I have material and then I try to uh, yeah. give it to the Russians. I got this great uh, top-secret material. Hey, hey uh, a yeah. Russian agent, take it. But just by holding yeah, it, am I in violation of the Espionage Act?
8: Well, first of all, you know, the Espionage Act was used against the Rosenbergs. Obviously, Julius Rosenberg was indicted and executed for turning over nuclear material to to the Russians. The left and civil libertarians hate the, the Espionage Act, except when it's used against Trump, because it was used against Assange. It was used against Dr. Spock. It was used against Ellsberg. It was used against many, many left-wing dissenters. Eugene V. Debs, it was used against... Liberals and civil libertarians have always hated the statute. Now they're applauding it. Oh my God, let's use it. Let's expand it. Anything to get Trump. It's like my colleague, my former colleague, uh, Lawrence Tribe, who says on CNN, I'm trying to persuade my former student Merrick Garland to prosecute President Trump for attempting to murder Pence. Now, if you have that kind of judgment, if a student ever wrote that in an exam, i give him a C minus two grade inflation. And Lawrence Tribe is trying to persuade the attorney general of the United States <laughs> to indict him for a crime that <laughs> didn't happen, attempted murder of Pence. And people are listening to him and he's on CNN and he's supposed to be the constitutional lawyer that has judgment. He reflects the modern approach of the hard left. Get Trump at any cost. Principles be damned. Stread the Constitution if you have to. The only goal is to get Trump. And look, I want to have the right to vote against Trump in the next election, the way I voted against him twice in previous elections. That's my American right, just like it's your American right to vote for him. And that's the way it should be at the polls. But you shouldn't have bureaucrats, even the attorney general, trying to tell us who should run and who shouldn't run. Now the Democrats are trying to say if he is convicted of any kind of uh, – statutory violation, then he can't run for president. Hey, read the Constitution. There are only four bases for disqualifying somebody. If you're under 35, if you're not born in America, if you fought in the Civil War against the Union, or if you were impeached and the impeachment resulted not only in a conviction, but a conviction and a statement that you can't run again for office. Those are the only four criteria. And you can't expand right. it and deny me the right to vote against him and you the right to
2: vote for him. Alan Dershowitz, thanks so much. Pick up his book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth uh, the Consequences. Is Worth the Consequences. Thank thanks, Professor. Uh, uh, we appreciate it. one 408 7669 We covered a lot of ground. What do you think? President's chances of beating this? Uh, and is the, uh, do, what questions do you still have? We still haven't touched the other two uh, members of the big three, so don't move.
1: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all.
1: Fast three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: His fortune was finally falling. The mm-hmm. big lie
2: was finally losing momentum. Mm-hmm. DeSantis was beating him in the polls. Mm-hmm. You know who hates this more than anybody? DeSantis. DeSantis, yeah. DeSantis look, I had this in the bag, and now I got to run
3: against President Martyr. And this is saving Trump politically.
2: In a way, uh Bill Moore is right. I mean, Bill Moore sees the whole comprehensive picture. A little like Alan Dershowitz in that he's not going to vote for him, doesn't like him, but understands why people do and understands some of the decisions that Joe Biden has made are absolutely farcically bad, including what today is. And that is the one year anniversary of the pullout of Afghanistan. There wasn't a pullout. It was a calamitous disaster. It was not unorganized. It was not chaotic. It was a self-inflicted personal wound on our country's reputation and cost the lives of 13 Americans in the near term. And we left thousands behind, allies and citizens. And our veterans, who were besmirched by the way we left, had to scramble, leave their jobs and form Operation Pineapple, as well as uh, allied, uh, another group aiding allies, and get these people out. And the administration wants to pass in praise, which is as crazy as naming an Inflation Reduction Act when a program is out there, signed into law, about to be signed into law, that does anything but. It's a climate change act. Don't buy it.
1: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: The Congressional Budget Act uh, uh, Office, which is nonpartisan, said that there would be a negligible impact on inflation this year and barely impact inflation at all. Uh, Next year, I mean, isn't it almost Orwellian? How can you call it Inflation Reduction Act when the nonpartisan experts say it's not going to? So I appreciate
4: that. I appreciate the question. We've actually addressed this, the the CBO. It was the top line number. Here's the thing: we have 126 economists, both in the uh, both Republicans, both Democrats, who have said it's going to fight inflation. We have five former uh, secretary, uh, Secretary of Treasury. Well, there's more to it. It's just it. It was the way that Republicans did that was so that it could make an argument that is false what is she
2: even talking about republicans i'm talking about the office of management and budget you're talking about the seat the cbo you're talking about every it doesn't touch inflation bernie sanders says it doesn't touch inflation i appreciate the question and who are these hundred plus economists that says that they're going to reduce the deficit or excuse me it's going to reduce inflation because nobody else does Unbelievable. I mean, that she said that. And they, now they're talking about the, it being the, the biggest climate investment in the history of our country. They're saying it now. And when you think climate, think China, because they have all the rare earth necessary for us to switch to batteries and electric. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson joins us now, Homeland Security Committee, Foreign uh, Relations, uh, Budget Committees. is also holding a big roundtable discussion on the crisis at the southern border, which we'll get to shortly. Senator, that's the spin that's already coming out, and it's not even officially signed yet.
10: Well, good morning, Brian. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing anti-inflationary about this, uh, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act at all. I mean, when you increase taxes on business, I was in business for 30 years. I view taxes as a cost. And you try and recover costs by doing what? Increasing prices. You know, and all the, the hundreds of billions of dollars allocated to the Green New Deal, that's called a misallocation of capital. Uh, you know, do I have to remind everybody about Cylindra? So we're, we're going to see time and time again these billions of dollars going down a, a, a black hole. They're not going to improve our economy. And as you pointed out, you know, most of the green energy manufacturing is being done in China right now. So I guess it might boost the Chinese economy. I don't think it's going to do a whole lot for America other than increase costs, and that's called inflationary.
2: So uh, this passed on a simply part line vote, did, Joe Manchin has done so much to make sure – we didn't add two states to the union. We didn't blow up the filibuster and get rid of Electoral College. I appreciate all those things. But why would he break on this when it seems like the oil and gas provisions he got are a separate letter, not even included in this budget, because the parliamentarian said this has nothing to do with finances. It doesn't belong in here.
10: Now, I can't speak for Joe Manchin. I, I agree with you. I appreciate what he's done at uh, you know making sure the Democrats don't destroy the United States Senate by limiting the filibuster. And. Uh, he's at least held off a $5 trillion spending package, but you know this, this is not going to be helpful. We just keep spending money we don't have. We keep increasing taxes as well as the regulatory burden on businesses. That harms your economy. There's a reason, Brian, we're in two quarters of negative economic growth. I, we used to call that a recession. It is a recession. Uh, that's not a good sign. We, our economy ought to just be flourishing right now there was so much pent-up demand. There are so many dollars sloshing around, one of the reasons we have inflation. But we shouldn't be having negative economic growth right now. And the only reason we are is because Democrat governance and Democrat policies. And this is going to be one of those policies that are not going to be helpful in terms of our economy. And, and Brian, if, if if we're going to save Social Security and Medicare, we need economic growth. This isn't going to work if, if we have a stagnant economy. And of course, I've been concerned in Literally predicting stagflation for well over a year, and that's what we have right now.
2: So the other thing that you have with the pharmaceuticals, they say, wouldn't it be great if Medicaid, Medicare, got a chance to uh, a bid on their ph- on, on pharmaceutical prices? But the thing that they the bad side about that is the pharma, pharmaceutical uh, uh, the pharmaceutical industry is going to pay a huge price, and we're going to pay the price on innovation. Correct.
10: Correct. And by the way, in, in any money we raise from that is going to be spent misallocated to the Green New Deal. It's not going to, you know, from, from what I can see, it's not going to go to reduce premiums for Medicare or, or to bolster that program and, you know, make it more sustainable. But you're absolutely right. When, when you start punishing the pharmaceutical industry, uh, you're going to have less innovation. You're going to have fewer life-saving drugs. That's, that's not a good thing.
2: I want you to hear with Kate Benningfield how she. Did, it's been one year since our disastrous pullout and embarrassing pullout uh, of Afghanistan. This cost uh, 13 American lives directly and many more indirectly. Kate Benningfield, the White House communications director, cut 17.
5: Does the president regret the decision that he made to pull the United States out of, out of that country?
6: Absolutely not. We were faced with a choice of continuing a forever war, continuing to send our sons and daughters over to die in Afghanistan, continuing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year there. President Biden made uh, a an important and tough, but the right choice to end that war, uh, to bring our, our sons and daughters home, and to free up resources.
2: While leaving millions, if not billions, in military hardware behind, humiliating our country, Michael McCall led a study in the House about the withdrawal, got no cooperation from the State Department, was able to find this. Cut 21.
9: There was a complete lack of, and a failure to plan. There was no plan, and it was, there was no plan executed. The State Department probably didn't have the resources it needed to carry out an evacuation of this size and in Normandy. They had 36 consular officers at HKIA trying to process hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, they were overwhelmed.
2: So how do you take that? They really want us to digest that they were glad the way this ended. Well, it was a total
10: failure. Uh, I always call it the embarrassing and dangerous surrender in Afghanistan. It wasn't planned. It was totally botched. Uh, we did leave tens of billions of dollars of sophisticated military equipment behind to the Taliban. Uh, it didn't have to end this way. But the reason I call it dangerous is it just was one more signal that America was becoming weaker and weaker. And, of course, when our adversaries see weak in America, they view that as an opportunity. Why do you think Vladimir Putin invaded and is now committing war crimes and atrocities against Ukraine? It's because he thought this is the time to act. You know, look at what China is doing around Taiwan. I am highly concerned about how aggressive they are becoming and what they may do because of American weakness. And take everything that Biden has done, Opening the borders, you know, allowing the flood of illegal immigrants, deadly drugs in this country, 40-year high inflation, record gasoline prices, high energy prices, rising crime. I mean, Brian, it's the year 2022 in America. We don't have enough infant formula for our babies. No, our country is coming off the rails. And our adversaries see that, and they become more aggressive, and the world becomes a far more dangerous place because America is weak under Biden.
2: A week ago today— There was a raid, uh, an FBI raid at the Mar-a-Lago compound of the president of the United States. He wasn't there. He was in New Jersey and New York City working at the time. They took 27 boxes, 11 classified, four documents marked top secret, classified uh, TSCSCI, highest level. Uh, They took surveillance video as well in and around where these documents were stated. We later learned that on June 2nd, June June 2nd, there was their last meeting between... The uh, counterterrorism division and the and uh, President Trump's team about documents they got 15 boxes in January they were going to go back and meet again at Mar-a-Lago was June 3rd the exact date heading it up on the counterterrorism side with the FBI was Jay Bratt, the top counterintelligence official the President dropped by said guys anything you need let me know they said yeah would you put another lock on this door said fine something happened in between they raid the place what do you take away from this Senator Johnson.
10: Well, again, I think this is just part and parcel of uh, the the politicization and partisanship within our federal law enforcement. Uh, to me, this sounds like a dispute over the president's authority to de- declassify documents. You know, he has absolute authority. Now, maybe the bureaucrats don't like what he wanted to declassify because there would be things that are embarrassing to them. You know, in my time in government, I, I've just seen a gross overclassification of material, mainly classified, not, not for national security, but to... Uh, prevent embarrassing truths from coming out. Um, a classic example is the redacted, the classified footnotes to the Pfizer report. That completely contradicted the body of the report that uh, Bill Priestley said the FBI had no idea that uh, the field dossier was tainted by Russian disinformation. The redacted classified footnotes said, no, they knew exactly that in October of 2016. So, again, this this is a dispute that should have been uh, ironed out in court now, with an unprecedented search warrant of a former president's residency. I think this is outrageous, and I think the, the more we do hear about it, and I don't have all the details, the more I hear about it, it becomes more and more outrageous.
2: I want you to hear uh, what the press secretary said was the president's knowledge of this unprecedented move about a possible opponent and his uh, successor. Cut one.
4: Department of Justice, when it comes to law enforcement, is independent. This is what we believe, and this is what the president has said. This is not about politicizing anything. And, and department- even to this
3: point, uh, President Biden Biden's not been briefed about anything. Not
4: any been briefed. We have not interfered. Not discussed it at all. Not, not discussed his- What? The president hasn't discussed it? Been briefed on it?
2: Has he not gotten off his bicycle on the beach to get briefed on the raid of a former president, maybe future opponents? compound? Is that, is that
9: plausible?
10: Well, first of all, I, I don't believe much of anything President Biden tells us. Remember, he repeatedly said he never talked to Hunter about his overseas businesses, which has proven repeatedly to be a lie. Now, he, he may be that detached. You know, it's hard to say who's running this administration, but there's no doubt about the fact that he is the one who appointed all the partisan political hacks to these federal agencies that are now carrying out this highly politicized and partisan activity. They are weaponizing these agencies. Of course, President Obama started it with the IRS under Lois Lerner. Of course, nobody was ever held accountable for that. That really began the gross politicization, the weaponization of these federal agencies. And I think the Biden administration under Merrick Garland and people like Christopher Wray are putting that into overdrive.
2: Uh, You're going to have a roundtable. Um, about what's happening at our border. It's going to be August 16th. That'll be this Friday. What's going to be the focus? Who's going to be there? Well, it's
10: actually going to be tomorrow, and we've got uh, uh, Brandon Judd, head of the union that uh, represents the Customs and Border Patrol agents. So we're going to also have Mark Morgan, former head of the Customs Border Protection, as well as I think he's head of uh, Customs and Border Patrol as well. So these are people that know exactly what's happening at the southwest border now, but also have a long history of what has worked, what hasn't worked, what has brought us to this point. So I, I just really want to discuss the cause and effect. But, you know, so much we we overlook the human depredations of this human trafficking flow. You know, the, the administration completely ignores it. They won't even acknowledge it as a problem. But, you know, the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the flow of deadly drugs causing all the overdoses. So w- I'm going to really highlight what is the impact of this open-border policy of the Biden administration that they're ignoring, as well as most of the mainstream media. So ho- hopefully at least the, the mainstream media in Wisconsin will show up and cover it so at least Wisconsinites will understand the disaster, the crisis that's occurring on our border.
2: You know, uh, Senator, there's a lot of things going on that I disagree with, but the one thing I think is the most underreported major story in this country is what's happening at the southern border. The frustrations boiled over. They are shipping illegal immigrants who want to into New York and D.C., and New York and D.C. are panicking. Can you, they have no idea, or they're pretending to have no idea what is happening. No other country in the world allows their border to be breached like this, and then they become wards of the system. We can't afford this. Why They don't have a bad policy. They have no policy.
10: You know, what's amazing about that is I think they're complaining about 7,000 illegal immigrants coming into those cities. That's a daily flow at the southwest border. Every day over the last four or five months, more than 7,000 people have been what they call now encountered. They don't even call it apprehended because they encounter, process, and disperse these people within the span of eight hours. And so, yeah, I mean, you, you've you got, uh, you know, the mayors of New York City and in, in D.C. screaming that, you know, what an outrage this is. So no, the outrage is occurring on the the southern border. You you aren't even seeing a fraction of the problem that those southern governors have to deal with because President Biden is not enforcing their law. It is not securing our border.
2: It's uh, inexcusable. So I look forward to that, uh, Senator Ron Johnson. How's the reelection coming?
10: Well, it's Wisconsin is going to be tough. So Ron Johnson for Senate.com, dot com. About $50 dollars $50 has been spent against me already, trying to destroy me, lie and distort everything I say. So I'm going to need a lot of help. So Ron Johnson, Senate.com. It is the crucial seat. We have to save this.
2: All right. uh, Senator, best of luck. Take care. Hey, uh, by the way, if you want to see me on stage and talk about taking about America's story, a thousand people at a time, uh, I may have a chance to talk to my book, talk about my books, and also talk about what's happening at Fox the Country. And most importantly, we end with questions from the audience. And a lot of it's going to be on Fox Nation Live. Uh, Join me on The Egg on uh, September 8th. Uh, that'll be in Albany, New York. Uh, Brandon, Mississippi, on Saturday, November twelfth. City Hall Live. November thirteenth, I'll I'll be in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. November thirteenth at the Cox Convention Center, and then in New Jersey, we've we pushed it to December second when my paperback comes out. The President Freedom Fighter. Uh, December 2nd at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center. So just go to BrianKilmead.com. I hope to see everybody there. In Albany, we're about sold out. Some seats up front are left, so grab them. This is the Brian Kilmead Show. Back in a moment.
1: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmead. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
9: But in the end, look, it comes down to what is in these these boxes they've seized. If it turns out to be the real deal, if it turns out that Donald Trump has violated the Espionage Act, that is a serious crime. But if they any- should be held to account. Okay. But Bill, if he doesn't, if it doesn't turn out to be that, there are legitimate questions. I think from. The Trump supporters about the different standards applied to Donald Trump as have been applied to Hillary Clinton, to James Comey, to Hunter Biden and the others. And that is the problem with when you take a massive sledgehammer like this unprecedented sledgehammer, you've got to deliver. And
2: I thought Alan Dershowitz said it best in the first hour. I mean, the first block, he said, enforce the subpoena, bring the court. Hey, I, I gave him a subpoena. They ignored it. Okay, go to court. Instead of raiding the compound, is it emergency? What is the emergency? You put a lock on the area in which you wanted a lock on. I don't know what was happening. They want the surveillance video. Is there video of President Trump giving these documents to some Russian agent, some Chinese agent, some Saudi agent? Uh, I don't know. I mean, do, do you think that that is indeed the case? Or knowing, by the way, the Trump White House, White House went, it was... Very much. Grab it. Do things in an orthodox way. It may have pleased a lot of people. It upset some others. More traditionalists. Here's what Michael Waltz cut three.
11: These are things that I think are terrible for the country, are further dividing it, uh, and are completely destroying any type of trust, belief, and confidence uh, in in our government, and our adversaries all over the world, uh, from China to Russia to Iran, are pointing at this uh, and saying, look at the flaws of an out-of-control democracy. This is why you have to go with uh, it's an exactly authoritarian right. regime like us. And that is and absolutely f- corrosive and destructive.
2: Yeah, that was from Steve Hilton's show last night. And by the way, the Russians are playing this raid, and they're saying because the raid happened because President Trump— uh, did not uh, like Russia. And that's why they're is his compound. Just saying, you can't run our country worried about what people think. But I do think you have to run the Department of Justice wondering about the next day. My objective is to get X, Y and Z. But how I get it matters. And look, James Comey had no problem trumping his Department of Justice, his attorney general. Do you think that maybe Christopher Ray could say, hey, you know what, Merrick Garland? Don't think it's pretty good for my agency. It's going to look real partisan. I can't afford that. It puts my men and women in jeopardy. Why not say something?
1: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Coming up a little bit later from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, we'll have Daniel Bilak. He's coming to us from uh, Ukraine. He's a member of the uh, Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine, former Chief Investment Advisor to the Prime Minister of Ukraine, and head of Ukraine Invest. They need your help. We're not forgetting about him. And then we'll do a simulcast with uh, Stuart Varney's show. Uh, Varney and Company. That's at 45 after. But for, and also, special thanks to KXEX 1550 AM in Fresno, California. As of today, you're part of the Brian Kilmeade Show family. We truly appreciate it. You are Fresno's best talk in town. So uh, grab on tight. I hope to hear from you. 1 408 7669. Let's get to the big three.
1: Now, with
3: the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Congressional Budget Act uh, office, which is nonpartisan, said that there would be a negligible impact on inflation this year. Isn't it almost Orwellian? How can you call it Inflation Reduction Act when the nonpartisan experts say it's not?
2: Uh, That's true. Inflation reduction is a green boondoggle. And now Democrats begin to admit it. It makes us more subservient to China. They have all the rare earth necessary for electric cars and everything else. It weakens biotechs and spends money we don't have. Nice.
4: Number two.
5: Does the president regret the decision that he made to pull the United States out of, out of that country?
6: Absolutely not. We were faced with a choice of continuing a forever war, continuing to send our sons and daughters over to die in Afghanistan.
5: How could you
2: possibly pay someone enough money to say something like that? One year since the disastrous, calamitous, embarrassing exit from Afghanistan and the White House still trying to spin and sell us that it was a success, not a chance. Number one.
7: What about our emails? Do Democrats now believe that that mishandling of classified information is as serious as we should all think it is? We should think it's serious when Hillary does it. We should think this is serious.
2: Yeah, we should. Uh, Mar-a-Lago, the raid exposes that there were items that needed to be returned, but unclear why they could not have been obtained through talks. Also, now the FBI is being accused of taking Trump's personal papers, and it's still unclear why the warrant, why the raid, as national anger boils over, because people see a double standard when it comes to the FBI. Michael, you're a New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor, Deep Thinker. Are Republicans right to think this is double standard?
12: Uh, good morning, Brian. Uh, there's no question it's a double standard. I mean, if if the left didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have any standards at all. Uh, th- this is an extraordinary breach. and. Merrick Garland, the attorney general, acting as if it's nothing unusual and it's by the book and it's routine. Where where in the history books is there another example of anything like this? And look, that, as, as you said, Trump may have had some papers and documents that were he should not have had. They may have belonged to the archives. They may have been classified. Uh, nonetheless, uh, why why is it that there has never been a real serious prosecution for this kind of thing? I mean, Sandy Berger, uh, for example, who stuffed things into his clothing, his underwear and his socks to steal things out of the archives to, to protect himself and Bill Clinton from history, really, um, th- that that case was treated as a. As a basically a misdemeanor. He even had his security clearance restored. So there's no precedent for this. And I think that uh, my own view is that Merrick Garland had plenty of opportunity to explain why this is different. And he didn't. That little, that little speech he gave was far, far short of the mark. And, and all we got instead were leaks from... Uh, Presumably, FBI officials telling the Washington Post and others, "Oh my goodness, it was nuclear! It was about nuclear weapons! It was—I mean, this is this is as I said in the column, déjà vu, deja, as Yogi Berra would say, uh, déjà vu all over again, just like Russia, Russia, Russia." Anonymous sources making these huge claims, and then the reality never quite matching up. But the damage is done by these initial headlines and with with very few facts to back them up. And
2: I just but it's think, the same thing as
12: Russia. no way to govern.
2: We hear about this leak. Donald Trump did this. Donald Trump did that. Oh, my God. That's it. It's terrible. And then they just gradually fade away because it's an unnamed source. It's leaked to them from who knows who. And the Russia link with Trump. And how many Friday stories did we have about that? And then we hear, "Oh, what's going on with this raid? Why does this make sense? Well, nuclear secrets, nuclear secrets, espionage act, obstruction of justice. I thought they were cooperating. What happened? Well, evidently, a lawyer did sign. I, I haven't seen it. Signed a document saying they got everything. I don't know. Really? Because one of the things they said is just put a lock on that door because, you know, we'll continue to talk about this. And he said, whatever you need, I'll let me know. He walked by that meeting on January, on June 3rd. So that's the president of the United States. Why would come to this? After all the controversies you have with the president, it makes no sense. But I thought Sarah Isger, who is a former Trump uh, in Trump's orbit, now oftentimes a critic, a Republican, said this, cut eight.
7: What about her emails? Do Democrats now believe that... That mishandling of classified information is as serious as we should all think mm-hmm. it is. We should think it's serious when Hillary does it. When uh, you know she had seven top secret emails on uh, conversations on her server, she had declassifying authority. We should have thought that was serious. We should think this is serious. This but is no, different,
5: though. I mean-
2: so, well, what is different about it? There's really no difference except for she bleach-bitted a lot of the stuff out. Her IT manager Denver, answered a subpoena. And she was able to come in on a Saturday and interview at a time of her choosing without any cameras or recordings. Uh, And no house was raided of Hillary Clinton's. And she was Secretary of State.
12: Yeah. You know, Brian, I want to go back to one thing you said, which was that that this doesn't make sense. Um, I'm beginning to believe it does make sense in this way. Uh, In April, the New York Times reported that Joe Biden was unhappy with Merrick Garland. He wanted Garland, he believed that Donald Trump should be prosecuted. And he was frustrated that Garland wasn't doing anything to prosecute Trump. That was in April. Uh, And here we are. So I, I, to me, there's a direct connection. I think that January 6th did not give Garland what uh, he thought was sufficient for prosecution but he but he stumbled on this case and he is turning it into the prosecution of Donald Trump that's my view of what this is about which puts Joe Biden's fingerprints not only on the raid but on the entire idea of prosecuting Trump i mean and when Joe Biden says i'm going to let the justice department decide who gets prosecuted i'm not going to do any of that of course he lied and there's no doubt in my mind that for, that for Biden, a lot of this is payback for Donald Trump and Hunter Biden, going after Hunter Biden. I really believe that we cannot discuss, because this case is so uh, unclear and inexplicable on its own terms, as you said, why, why not continue negotiations? Why not do this? Why not do that? It's never been done before. I think that's the answer. It's because Merrick Garland has effectively been ordered by the President of the United States to prosecute not only his predecessor, but the likely Republican nominee in 2024. And I think that's what this case is ultimately about. All of these, all of these qu- anonymous quotes about how serious and all that. It's not going to add up. I guarantee you it will never come to fruition that there's anything in here remotely resembling a nuclear weapons issue. It is all about getting Donald Trump. And I think Joe Biden is responsible for this. I think this is payback. And I think this is this is what Merrick Garland has become, the errand boy for Joe Biden's obsession with with prosecuting Donald Trump.
2: Well, here's the problem. Uh, They uh, said the exact opposite. Cut one.
4: Department of Justice, when it comes to law enforcement, is independent. This is what we believe, and this is what the president has said. This is not about politicizing anything. And, and even department- to
3: this point, uh, President Biden's not been briefed about anything. Not any
4: been briefed. We have not interfered. Not discussed it at all. Not, not discussed.
2: Uh, is that possible? Not discussing, not briefed about the raid of Mar-a-Lago? Are you kidding?
12: Well, it would be dereliction not to be. Right, I mean, you're the president of the United States. Your attorney general has just done something extraordinary to your to your predecessor, and you don't you haven't been briefed. Well, I can see where that's not a lie. It's because uh, Biden uh, says to Ron Klain, "You tell Merrick Garland to get off his butt and go prosecute Donald Trump." You don't need to brief Joe Biden, then, right? You can read it all about it in the papers. You can read the anonymous leaks. Maybe, maybe the White House is part of the anonymous leaking. Uh, but look, I, I just think you you would you would need a tractor to pull apart the uh, the idea that Joe Biden is not involved in this. It, of course he is. How could he not be? How could he How could he not know? How could he not care? How could he not have some responsibility for such an, an – I mean, would, would, do we say he had no role in Afghanistan, that he had no role in the Inflation Reduction Act? Of course not. So this is as big as any of those things in its own way. Why would he be sitting this out? He didn't sit this out. He's very much involved in this. I would be sh- shocked to death. If he were not somehow complicit in this raid,
2: uh, yeah, we'll see if we get a leak out of this. Uh, Afghanistan, one year since withdrawal, the worst military uh, exercise of that uh, operation that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime, an embarrassment. This country is going to have a generation to shake off. It was not worthy of this generation of war fighters in Afghanistan. Michael McCall heads up an inquiry into what went wrong, and they, uh, the administration has no problem saying, we loved the way this operation went. Listen to Kate Benningfield, Cut 17.
5: Does the president regret the decision that he made to pull the United States out of, out of that country?
6: Absolutely not. We were faced with a choice of continuing a forever war, continuing to send our sons and daughters
2: over to die. And- Do you believe that? I mean, is that what they came up with a year later? No regrets?
12: Right. Look, I, I think they—that's just politics. You can't admit error on something so large and fundamental. So they've got to stand by their story. I, I'm not surprised at that. Well, Bay of Pigs, but- they
2: admitted they were wrong. This is worse.
12: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was some time ago. uh, And, you know, generally in these days, presidents don't admit mistakes. Uh, Most politicians don't because then it's on videotape and it lives forever. But I would say this, Brian, that the that it's good that we got al-Zwahiri with with a missile. But the fact is that Joe Biden said, Al-Qaeda was not in Afghanistan. That was one of the reasons, that was the reason we went, and that was one of the reasons he justified the complete withdrawal. There's no more Al-Qaeda. Now, the Taliban themselves are bad enough, nonetheless, but but al-Zawahiri, the the mastermind of Al-Qaeda, is there living openly. And, yes, it's great that we droned him and got him, but doesn't it point out that, again, Biden either was wrong or he lied because there's clearly al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And so the whole 20-year war of wiping out al-Qaeda over 9-11 has come to this, where their mastermind is living openly in the country once again, just as they were 20 years ago.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. Lastly, you know what's going to be jammed down our throats? This Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation. It's all about a green agenda, which is not the country's agenda. Here's Jamie Raskin trying to tell everyone how much we should enjoy this spending bill. Cut 29. Well, as
11: as soon as the act goes into uh, effect, I hope that all of the provisions will begin to work. I I, I know that those who have been blaming President Biden for the inflation going up are now giving President Biden all the credit for inflation going down. So we're moving things in the right direction already. And what parts of the bill do you think will, will quickly work
2: on that specifically? The, the, next question. About inflation, because they, they know they can't. He's no answer.
12: Well, and also the idea that a piece of legislation is going to work quickly to reduce uh, inflation is nutty. I mean we all know how long it takes these government programs to get going and so this the idea that inflation is already going down because of it I mean it's just it, it it's unbelievable what politicians in a jam will say uh I mean that uh talk to, you know if we could indict them every time they lied Brian uh that's the whole the whole I was going to kick when someone is indicted for lying to congress congress lies to us every day
2: especially now uh, Mike Goodwin, thanks so much. My
12: pleasure, Brian. Thank you.
2: All right. Listen, when we come back, we'll take your calls 1-866-408-7669. The Reduction Act, that's going to be uh, the the Inflation Reduction Act, that's going to be signed. We'll talk about the invasion once we more, find out more. If Donald Trump has just spoken to Fox News Digital exclusively, I'll share that with you. And we're also going to talk about one year since Afghanistan. This is the Brian Kilmeade show. So glad you're here.
1: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Again, we have serious
5: issues about the way that Governor Abbott is treating asylum seekers, especially uh, because this is supposed to be a voluntary uh, bus ride,
8: and it appears that it's not. And so again, we're calling to question uh, what Governor Abbott is doing. Is this a political ploy?
2: Uh, There you go. And that was uh, what Governor Abbott is doing is not uh, is doing is absolutely necessary. Getting the world's attention to the fact that his state has been besieged worse than Arizona, worse than New Mexico, California. It's a border state that with a huge border of Mexico and it's being overrun at this hour. Nobody's paying attention. The Border Patrol agents are not being vilified. They're quitting on the spot. They spend all their time intake, taking uh, all the stats and information and not policing the border. Uh, That is frustration. So Governor Abbott is saying, if you guys want to go to New York, hop on a bus. I'll provide them. It's costing the people of Texas a lot of money, but they're trying to send a message. And in that case, it's working. Walker, you're listening over in uh, uh, WABC in Jersey City. Hey, Walker.
12: Hey, Brian. Uh, You know. I think that uh, every every step of the way we've had some some shock value. You know, when Rudy Giuliani's office was when his house was raided, when uh, Roger Stone was raided, and and on and on. The next the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to see Trump in handcuffs. Uh, and, and and if and if they don't if they don't get the trial out of Washington D.C., he will be convicted. If they cannot move the trial to a neutral state uh, uh, place, like the federal court in Greenville, Tennessee, for instance, you know, he, the, there's no way that Trump will not be convicted. If it if it if the trial takes place in Washington D.C., he'll go to prison.
2: Um, I think it's a long way from that. I, I really do. I mean, because you have documents that may or may not be uh, top secret, how did he get them anyway? I mean, all we hear about is these top secret documents. you got to go into a skiff. you got to take off your phone. you got to take off your belt, everything else. you got to go in there and come out. I mean, it's a, a far cry from that, but that is what they want. They want to make sure he doesn't run. And I'm not really sure because they must feel as though this is a Democratic cycle, excuse me, a Republican cycle. Donald Trump, whatever you think of him, might be their best chance of winning again. So I'm not really sure what's going on. I mean, you know, I, I know Joe Biden hopes he runs again because they think he, Joe Biden thinks that's the one guy he can beat. So there's a lot of different avenues. I don't think he's coming out in handcuffs by a long shot. Well, I'll tell you what, when we come back, we're going to talk about something else that uh, very much part of the Trump administration, and that was Ukraine. Uh, when we come back, uh, Daniel Bilak will be joining us, Remember the Territorial Defense Fund of Ukraine, what's happening over there, and why are people worried about an attack on nuclear energy? And then we'll do uh, take your calls and then do a simulcast with Stuart Varney. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: From his mouth to to your your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Stuart Varney will join in about 20 minutes. But right now, let's talk about what's happening in Ukraine Uh, with Daniel Bilak, one of our favorites, member of the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine, former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine and head of uh, Ukraine Invest. Uh, Daniel, it seems as though we're talking a little bit more about Ukrainian forces on the offensive in the Kyrgyzstan region and some type of subversive act, uh, op, um, operation, perhaps, in Crimea, where the Russians have lost at least nine aircraft. What could you tell us?
13: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, great to be back. Um, you know, I, I was on a panel recently with uh, a military general, and uh, who said that you can, you can tell which side has the advantage by who's responding to whom. And uh, I think we're now at the stage where the Russians are responding to our initiatives. And I think that's a really important turn uh, in, uh, in, the, in this war. By no means is it over, uh, clearly, but I think that's a really significant uh, thing. And, um, yeah, it, it's been very interesting. We've been seriously softening up the, uh, 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 the south, uh, the southern part of the country. That's Kherson and Zaporizhzhia oblasts um with uh, some uh, guerrilla warfare and um you know it's it's clearly driving the russians crazy um and it's driving the russian people who came down and occupied uh, ukrainian homes in crimea crazy because they're all leaving and um uh, you know right now aside from being able to take out uh the uh, a lot of the uh, ammunition bases and their and some of their heavy equipment and airplanes at their army bases and their supply lines, um, we are we are starting to choke them off by taking out know, bridges that are crucial for to get the, their material from Crimea into Kherson to reinforce their their uh, their soldiers. And frankly, what's turned the tide or turning the tide, Brian, is the equipment that we've been getting uh, largely from the United States: the Heimars, the howitzers, uh, the Mm270s from the Brits that are really American. Uh uh, 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 equipment have, have been absolutely fantastic. And we've been able to make, we we've learned how to use this stuff in, in two to three weeks. Usually it takes two to four months to, to train. Uh, and we've been making absolute precision hits.
2: What, uh, what about uh, aircraft? I know you had a hope for aircraft. Have you heard any progress on that?
13: Yeah, no, we haven't Brian. And it's, it's actually crucial for us to do a, uh, uh, to, to do a, launch a counteroffensive. Um, we, we've been hearing reports that the, uh, Slova- the Slovaks are going to give us uh, their fleet of MiG-29s, uh, the, the Russian uh, uh, Soviet-era MiG fighter uh, MiG sure. planes, in return for getting a new American kit. But the Slovaks are playing coy, and they're not the, uh, c- confirming or denying sort of thing. Um, what what has happened on the U.S. side is that Congress has passed a law to allocate 100 million dollars to train Ukrainian pilots on what I understand are F-18s and other aircraft. But that that's not that's not for tomorrow, unfortunately.
2: Well, wow, it's too bad. Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you are appreciative of the of the material, but if you just got it all at once, you could just win this thing. Uh, people are dying because we 're so slow uh, on delivering what we say we 're supposed to, and I just worry about the follow through I mentioned this to you before if anything we will we'll diminish the support the Ukrainian operation has in the u s it 'll find out that we 're wasting money that it 's getting into the wrong hands that people are are using it for grift and do you feel as though the the fulfillment is there? that it arrives in Poland or a bordering state and it's getting to the front lines. Are you, are you pleased by the way that's happening?
13: Yeah, I, I think there's no question, you know, that, that we're getting it. In fact, I, I flew in, I won't say which airport, uh, the other day and I, I, I saw a, uh, uh, a Hercules Globemaster, uh, unloading, uh, uh, equipment. So I was pretty happy about that. Um, and, uh, the You know, I think that stuff is definitely getting there. We can see it with the results on the field, and we can see it with the reduced number of fatalities. You know, we were losing, as, as we talked about earlier, Brian, 100 to 200 soldiers a day uh, in, in May, June. And, you know, we're probably at 25 to 30 a day now because we've really been able to expand uh, the range of, uh, of fire uh, and force the Russians back. And and but you know we need more of this as I as I said I think on on your show last time we've got a uh, a line that's about 1,500 miles long which is sort of like Boston to Miami a front line and you know we had 11 HIMARS um, I think we're getting up to 16 now uh, but we're getting these we're getting small packets uh, I don't know what the problem is I don't know whether it's a bureaucracy I don't know whether it's somebody in the White House holding it back but you know we I, I have the sense that you know, there's a policy decision that has to be made, and it has to be clearly articulated by the administration. You know that that the administration is in it to win it. Yes, it is in the U.S. interest to see Ukraine win the war because the U.S. doesn't want to live with an aggressive, imperialist Russia in the future. What we're what we're sort of seeing is that, or hearing, I guess, is that U.S. will do everything possible for as long as it takes for Ukraine to survive. Those aren't exactly the same things. You can survive for a long time on life support, but it's not a great quality of life, right?
2: Right, uh, and you need, you the, know, you gotta, need your uh, ports.
13: Well, you know, we, we need all of it. You know, P- P- President Zelensky said the other day, and I think this is probably the clearest policy statement of what our war objectives and what victory means to Ukrainians, and that is this war started eight years ago in Crimea, and this war will end in Crimea. And there is 90% of Ukrainians having suffered the horrific casualties and having having gone through everything that they've gone through rape torture mass graves uh, you know it's just been horrible. 90% of Ukrainians are are in favor of not giving not one centimeter not one inch of of Ukrainian soil to the Russians because we know that they're only going to come back. Right. And you know that kind of resolve is, is what wins wars. But as, as, I, as, I, as I always say, you know, we're going to win this war because we have to, because we're facing a war of annihilation and extermination. But how, how soon that happens and what the cost of that's going to be in terms of lives and destruction really depends on our Western allies and especially the United
2: States. Daniel Billack is with us now, member of the Territorial Defense Forces of Ukraine. Dan, you're a money guy. So why would it work in the Russian interest to, uh, to speed up the elimination of uh, their number one customer, the European Union? As much as you want them to be out and they want to be out of their relationship with the Russians yesterday, they know that they need their natural gas and oil through the pipelines. But the Russians are beginning to cut it off and they're prepared, uh, European Union is prepared for a winter without it. Why is it in their best financial interest to, to perpetuate this, meaning the Russians?
13: Like, I, I think that everybody, you know, we're all rational people. We live in a democracy where we where we make rational decisions. Uh, the, Putin and his and, and, and his henchmen are not rational actors. They are—this is a policy decision that they have taken that they are going to eliminate Ukraine and probably go further. So they'll just double down. They've got reserves. They've got cash reserves. They think that they can get around the sanctions. They think that they can res- withstand them. They don't value the lives of their people, so you know, if they suffer uh, a little bit more, that's that's not a big deal. And so they figure, their, their bet is that everybody's going to cave, that if we, if we really stick it to the Europeans this winter, uh, they're going to cave, they're going to throw Ukraine under the bus, and they're going to come and seek a deal with Russia, take off the sanctions, and it'll be business as usual. And this is going to be, actually, we're coming down to crunch time for the West in terms of its values. And sticking by its values. And I have to say, the, the Biden administration has been doing, you know, bending over backwards to try to find alternate sources, help the EU find alternate sources of gas. To get, it, to get it through the winter.
2: Daniel, don't uh, be too impressed. We have it. Daniel, we have it. We could perpetuate the terminals, the LNG terminals in there, and get this done in 18 months, well, maybe quicker. Go. But we have it, but there's a political reasons why we're not using our natural gas resources. It will be a boon for everybody, and we know natural gas burns cleaner. Uh, i got to ask you a couple of things about the fight itself. You've uh, decided to blow up a few bridges surrounding Kyrgyzstan, because you don't want the Russians resupplied, almost as if they have to sit there. Uh, final thought on that? I mean, what is the tactic there? Do you know, or am I am I wrong?
13: Well, it's 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 exactly right. It's, look, David didn't slay Goliath by tackling him. Right? He he waited for the we went for the weak point and, and and killed him off when when he understood what it was going to take to bring him down. So what we're doing is we're cutting off the supply line so they they don't get the ammo, they don't get the heavy equipment, they can't defend themselves. We psychologically undermine and degrade them. We're basically choking them to death, and that's what we're going to do.
2: And get them out out of your land once and for all. You don't want anything from Russia, just want them out of your country. That's right. Uh, Daniel, Billak, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, And best of luck in Ukraine. Listen, when we come back, we do a simulcast with Stuart Varney, then I close with your calls. 1-866-408-7669. Busy Monday. Brian Kilmeade So glad you're here.
1: Now the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Welcome back, everyone. We got a few minutes uh, after this. After I do a hit with Stuart Varney, uh, you'll be able to see me on Fox Business. So we'll run to FBN as well as Fox Nation. We always stream, so we will be on radio, be on streaming service, and then of course FBN is. A hot cable network, and Stuart varney has got a great show. So we're going to be talking about what's happening with the CDC, talking about what's happening with, guess what, Alex Berenson. And if we can't get to this on this hit, I'll, I'll finish it up when I sit down and come back to the show solely, uh, talk about him going back to Twitter. So let's listen in together.
14: Across the board for Big Tech. It's 1051. You know what that means? Brian Kilmeade joins us now. All right, Brian, unvaccinated Novak Djokovic can't compete in the U.S. Open because he can't get into the country unless he's vaccinated. I think this is absolute rubbish, Brian. I'm appalled by it, and I think you are too. At least I hope you are.
2: And I was upset when Australia did it too. It made no sense because we got to use our heads. I looked at the CDC's new guidelines. I don't know if you've seen them because they keep changing. Now that the election's getting close. Oh, did I say that? Uh, We will not differentiate between vaxxed and unvaxed people. Okay. No longer six feet apart. Okay. No longer recommends quarantining if you test positive. Removes tests to stay in school. Uh, But we can't let one of the fittest, best, most athletic people in the world... Play tennis against somebody else, what, 30 feet away, hit a ball? If you want to say to them, listen, after you're done with the court, just do me a favor, after you're done with the court, just go to the locker room, we'll set up a little room for you. You're the best player in the world. I think the people of Queens and the people of America at the U.S. Open deserve to see you, so what an embarrassment. John McEnroe, who said, I got double-vaxxed and I got the booster, said, this guy's got to play. Of course you got to play. What an embarrassment.
14: Why doesn't he just fly to Mexico, get a backpack, go to the southern border, walk across, be because great. he doesn't have to be vaccinated? I and would then pay, him, him, do do I would yeah, pay so him to I, do it. I would pay him to do it, and then
2: hop on that bus, yeah. hop on that uh, Texas yes. bus, yes. Uh, and get be greeted by <laughs> Eric Adams right at the Port Authority. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> that will be a story out. and
14: a half. Absolutely, I'll, I'll, I'll chip in for that one. Uh, let's get serious. Karine Jean-Pierre was asked if the Inflation Reduction Act is Orwellian. Roll tape.
3: It's called the Inflation Reduction Act, but the Congressional Budget uh, Office, which is nonpartisan, said that there would be a negligible impact on inflation this year and barely impact inflation at all uh, next year. I mean, isn't it almost Orwellian? It's making sure
4: that billionaires uh, in corporate America are paying, are paying their fair share, making sure that, it's, that the tax code is a little bit more fair. And so when you do that, when you put it in its totality, you will she- see that it will, d- it will bring down, lower the deficit, will, which will help fight inflation.
14: George Orwell's book, 1984, was about the perversion of the truth at the government level. And that's what's going on here, isn't it? Because this, def- this inflation reduction act
2: does not reduce inflation, and Bernie Sanders said it. Uh, we have all these other uh, experts saying, but she cites 100 economists that's going to reduce inflation. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, the minute it passed, and I think it's just a matter of him signing at this point, they started immediately saying it's $369 billion worth of climate investment, the highest in American history. Excuse me? I thought it was about reducing the deficit. So as soon, excuse me, the uh, inflation, as soon as it passes, they expose it for what exactly it is. And it's embarrassing. It's an insult to us. Just like they're saying today, Afghanistan was a success. Our endless war had to stop. Excuse me. It's the way it ended. What you did, ignoring the reality, that's the issue. If you want to, re- if du- you want to reduce inflation, what you do is you reduce spending. Is one of the things you can do. At the same time, you up interest rates through the Fed, which is happening. But in- this whole thing of spending instead of cutting it is a new way to handle inflation. It's called your agenda. Now it's good for the country.
14: I'd love to know who it was who invented this name. The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Who did that? They've got to have a sense of humor, a cynical sense of humor to do that because it's the perversion of the truth. There you have it. I'm afraid I'm out of time, uh, 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 Brian. Uh, normally I like to extend these things as long as I can, but I've got a hard break. You know how this works. Even so more I've powerful
2: got... than the host of the show, the hard break takes precedence.
14: It does, actually. It does. You don't <laughs> want to be cut off in your prime. Here it goes. Hey, Brian, you're all right. See you again soon. Go Back get him, Stewart.
2: Thanks. Joe, WRCN. Hey, Joe.
14: Brian, good
15: morning. Hey, Brian. Happy summer. Good morning. Same I can't you. believe the White House is trying to claim a victory there for the Afghan stand uh, withdrawal. But it was a surrender and it was embarrassment to America. Biden should be impeached for that. getting those 13 soldiers killed. I say he's a war criminal He for droning that father and the 10 aid workers so he can get a talking point. 20 years, blood and sacrifice, wiped away in less than a week by this incompetent buffoon. And no one was held accountable, Brian. Nope. $80 billion in weapons and equipment he left for Al-Qaeda. Now they've come back. We gave away the uh, air base there, 400 miles from China. Al Qaeda's is back. Sharia law is implemented. It's a training ground for uh, Al Qaeda and terrorists. Now, women have to be back in burkas. They can't attend schools. They're throwing uh, gays off rooms again and insult the injury. Remember when the castings came back? And this buffoon is looking at his watch. He don't even care about the dead soldiers. He's a war criminal in my eyes, Brian. And and he should be brought to
2: impeachment. I don't say, yeah, war criminal is a little harsh. What I'd say is totally incompetent. And when you had all of his military people say, that's not what I recommended, but I did it anyway. And then he says, well, the previous deal was in place. What are you talking about? You overturned everything Trump did. The deal that was in place had nothing to do with giving up Bagram. And the president, the former president of the United States never would have allowed al-Bardor to take Kabul. He said he would have said one more foot and I'll blow you up. I know exactly where you are. And he would have done it because he was fresh off killing Soleimani. So that wouldn't have happened. I did not love the talks we were in in Afghanistan. I didn't like what Khalil Azad was leading during the Trump years. I also don't think that Trump would have pulled everybody out. I've talked to people with him. They said, let me get through the election. We'll revisit it and see where we're at. He never would have let this happen. And if you don't believe me, will you agree that Donald Trump, thanks for the call, Joe, has a big ego? And the answer is yes. Would you believe that he wants to be successful at all costs? The answer is yes. He would never want to be the guy that gave Afghanistan to the Taliban. Believe me. Hey, go to BrianKilmead.com. I'm going to be in Albany September 8th, November 11th and 12th. I'll be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as well as Brandon, Mississippi, and then back in Newark, New Jersey. Order tickets, BrianKilmead.com.
1: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade show. At the bottom of the hour, Brett Barrell join us to talk about the political fallout from the Mar-a-Lago raid by the FBI one week ago today. Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North on what's left of Afghanistan that he saw, that he covered, that he watched and then fall apart before his eyes and how the, uh, I guess the military community feels about all their hard work and sacrifice, life and limb lost and to see the Biden administration throw it away and you're not going to believe they still say it was a success. Let's get to the big three.
1: Now with
3: the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three.
3: Congressional Budget Act uh, office, which is nonpartisan, said that there would be a negligible impact on inflation this year. Isn't it almost Orwellian? How can you call it Inflation Reduction no. Act when the nonpartisan experts say it's not?
2: Yeah, exactly. Jonathan Carl inflation uh, bill is a green boondoggle. And now Dems beginning to admit it. It makes us more subservient to China, weakens biotech and spends money we don't have. Yes, victory for the Democrats, no doubt about it, but not for the country.
4: Number two,
5: does the president regret the decision that he made to pull the United States out of out of that country?
6: Absolutely not. We were faced with a choice of continuing a forever war, continuing to send our sons and daughters over to die in Afghanistan.
2: Unbelievably how insulting that is. Kate Benningfield, one year after the disastrous, calamitous, embarrassing exit from Afghanistan and the White House still trying to spin and sell us on their success. Not here as we focus on the State Department and White House, whose decision humiliated a generation of great war fighters while left America and her allies behind enemy lines.
4: Number one.
7: What about our emails? Do Democrats now believe that that mishandling of classified information is as serious as we should all think it is. We should think it's serious when Hillary does it. We should think this is serious.
2: Mar-a-Lago raid exposes there were items that needed to be returned, yes, but unclear why they could not have been obtained through talks. And now the FBI is being accused of taking Trump's personal papers, and it's still not clear why the where the why, uh, why the why warrant, why the raid, when he could have just asked a judge to enforce a subpoena. It makes no sense. Uh, also, a special thanks to KXEX 1550 AM in Fresno, California, for carrying the show. It's the best talk in town. And hopefully, by carrying our show, it just got better. Thanks so much. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Colonel Alvin North always makes our show better when he joins us. Colonel, before I get you on Afghanistan, what is your take on the raid and the crit- criticism the FBI is is feeling right now?
16: Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. Because every once in a while, I'm getting old enough that they think, maybe that's the last time. Well, no, not with you, never. buddy. <laughs> never. So, look, here's what's going to happen. I, I, You know, I don't have the gift of prophecy, but I've been around this town a long time. I've seen this kind of thing happen before. You know, at, at one point in time, I'd been at the White House for almost five years at the point. They started asking for my paperwork. And our administration, it was Ronald Reagan's administration, gave them everything that they wanted. And they still wanted more. The Congress is always going to behave. Some of the, the no Iran-Contra stuff? Yeah, yeah. But, but the, the good news is, at the end of the day, no one went to jail. No one, there, there was no one indicted, tried, convicted, and sentenced to go to jail. At the end of the day, there was someone who pled guilty. But at, at the end of the day, the bottom line was Ronald Reagan was not going to be impeached. And that's what it was all about. It was an effort to impeach the president of the United States, Ronald Reagan. They wanted to get rid of him. You know people like to talk about how Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan, two great old Irishmen, you get together and have drinks at night that's baloney that's that's creative history it's false i I was in the room when Tip O'Neill, the day that we was, we were sending American troops into Grenada, we waited till after eleven o'clock at night so that the Washington Compost couldn't carry the story, and then briefed members of Congress up in the residence and I was there. I watched Tip O'Neill get up right after the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Vesey, spoke. And I watched O'Neill get up and walk out the door and say, I'll see you impeached for this. Didn't happen. The bottom line of it is the left, the far left in America, is still the same far left. It's just more vicious, more vociferous, Mm -hmm. and and further wrong than it's ever been. What's going to happen, mark, mark my words, what's going to happen is between now and Labor Day, when the big campaigns start to kick off, you know, everybody starts to focus on the election that's coming up. I and mean, You're going to see a press conference held by the attorney general of the United States and, and maybe some others. They're going to threaten the president, a uh, former president, with, with going to jail. They're going to claim that members of Congress, because they're desperate to hang on to the House and the Senate, absolutely desperate, And they know that they're probably likely to to lose the House. So why is it that at the same time they're raiding the the president's residence, former president's residence, at the same time they're going after members of Congress and the state legislatures, particularly in in Pennsylvania? Why is it that they're doing that? Because they're going to allege a conspiracy to overthrow an election. That's what they're going to allege. That's why these guys are all out in in the Sunday morning talk shows. All this, all this is aimed at undoing what the American people are now. You, you just went down, and your countdown at the front end of the show. Here's the problems in America right now. Yeah. Okay. And, and they want to distract from that, and they want you to think, oh no, if you keep us Donald in power said. in the House and the Senate, we'll save you from all these terrible things. And they create words like the, the Inflation Reduction Act, where it's not going to it's not going to decrease inflation at all. All hmm. of those kinds of deceptions being worked by this administration, and by their tools, And, and the FBI is being used as a tool of the government, of a particular party in the government. That's what's happening. And that's one of the reasons why what we've got to do is we've got to turn out the vote in November. We've got to make sure that the American people, we the people, and I'm a chronic optimist as you know, we the people have got to throw these rascals out. And you start fixing it in the House and the Senate. And in two years, return the presidency to honorable
11: integrity.
2: Gotcha. I, 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 I want you to hear what, what Michael Waltz said about this whole raid. Cut to.
11: Yeah. And the notion that a president of the United States would have some type of nuclear warhead design uh, just sitting around in a box, or even you saw speculation on the Sunday shows today that it could have been the names of Russian sources or uh, images of spy satellites. Uh, The president gets finished intelligence. He gets analysis. Uh, This kind of uh, speculation is just shaping up to be Russia hoax. Uh,
2: 2.0. Because what he was hearing is the president had nuclear yeah. codes or nuclear yeah. de- uh, details about our nuclear defense uh, in his midst. Number one, I don't know why he took any of them. He's not into building a library to begin with. He wants to get back there. Number two, he's not deciding what boxes to take out. We watched it on video going to Marine One. Right. He returned 15. I'm sure he would have returned most of the rest, uh, except for the ones they took that had attorney-client uh, attorney privilege on him.
16: Well, remember, that was a fishing expedition. I mean, they, they can claim whatever they want. Whatever they say that they're really after will be a lie. They, these these clowns lie repeatedly. And so what you're, what you're seeing is the end result of another lie. They're digging for just anything. They what they're looking for is a crime that they can pin on this president. To, they don't want him to be able to run again. They're afraid of the effect he's having on the election of people in, in look at, the numbers of victories he gotten in the primary in the primaries I mean he still has an enormous following. there were seventy five million Americans who voted for him, okay The bottom line of it is they want to do anything they can to destroy the man. That's why the attorney general in New york city uh, excuse me in, in New York state that's why the district attorney in manhattan that's why every jurisdiction eighty seven thousand new irs agents how many how many thousand are going to be working on Donald Trump?
2: I still have not heard a good excuse of why we need them. It makes absolutely no sense to me. If anyone thinks that they're just going to go after the Jeff Bezos of the world, they're crazy. (laughs) They're not going after just rich people, Elon Musk. They're not because they can't get enough money. Well, how do you justify the spending all this money? Well, we're going to get it back. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, a lot of people aren't paying their taxes. Well, who are those people? Because the top 1% are paying 40% of the whole country.
16: Well, and the top one percent have attorneys, and they have got accountants to take care and make sure that they're not breaking the law, even though, no matter how many times you change it. I mean, look at what we're what we're suffering from right today is an excess of the government of the United States in the hands of crazy leftists. This is you know, Mao Zedong would have loved to have had a government as complicit as this one is in taking this country off the left side of the ship. We're in serious trouble, this country is today, because the far left is governing. They're in the White House, the executive branch, they're in both branches, both houses of the Congress. And if they could, they'd fill the judiciary with people on the far left. Uh, Look at what's happened in these cities and states where they've taken far left prosecutors and basically stopped prosecuting crimes and ignoring the victims. I understand yeah we're in serious trouble. That's what we can fix it. We the people can fix it in November'll we'll start, and the process will begin and hopefully by twenty twenty four we've got good candidates to run on our side and I say our side, I mean the American people's side that's what we desperately need to have so, The American people need to turn out and fix it
2: so the administration is trying to reset what happened last year in Afghanistan. You lived it. Uh, It's extremely personal to you. I believe it's the worst military disaster in our history, bar none, including what happened in Vietnam and Saigon. It was worse, even though he pledged it would be just the opposite. Kate Benningfield trying to explain it away. Cut 17.
5: Does the president regret the decision that he made to pull the United States out out of that country?
2: Absolutely
6: not. We were faced with a choice of continuing a forever war, continuing to send... Our sons and daughters over to die in Afghanistan, continuing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year there. President Biden made uh, a an important and tough, but the right choice to end that war, uh, to bring our our sons and daughters home, and to free up resources.
2: Your witness. Well, first,
16: uh, and I, this is heartbreaking because I I was <laughs> I was one of those who was still in the hospital when things collapsed in 1975 in a place called Vietnam, at the end of May 1975. And no one ever expected it was going to end that badly, and I thought it would never happen again. I, I know that others that we have as talking heads for, for Fox News, both in Fox News radio and television, think that we're recovering from this disaster. I will tell you that the armed forces of the United States today, and our ability to deter war and defend ourselves if we have to fight one, is far worse today than it was before the collapse in Afghanistan. It's not just because of the collapse. It's because this administration has decided they are not going to improve the defense posture of the United States. Our ability to attract new allies has diminished considerably. And at the end of the day, you now have—we had young Americans, college graduates, enlisting in the armed forces of the United States, not coming in as officers, but enlisting. We had people from the Ivy League schools and from the best engineering schools and the best service academies. All of that has changed dramatically because of this administration and the disaster of Afghanistan. The armed forces of the United States are, for the first time in years, the United States Marine Corps is having a hard time making their quotas, their numbers, with qualified people. Why? Because, first of all, an enormous number of young Americans that 18- to 34-year-old cohort are one- incapable of serving in the armed forces because of physical problems,
2: of mental
16: problems, drug use, all those kinds of things that would say you, you don't want these kinds of people in the armed forces. And they're right. All of that has is, is now come rolling down the hill like a cascade. U.S. Army is tens of thousands short of their recruiting goals. And the reenlistments are not happening anymore. Why did they happen before? Because we are blessed to have young men, particularly, and women, who want to serve their country in the uniform of the Armed Forces of the United States, who did so proudly, they were not embarrassed by what we were doing in in Afghanistan. Look, coming home from a war is always a good thing to do. But doing the right thing the wrong way, which is what this administration did, has been catastrophic. It's hurt us globally. It's hurt us here at home. It's the kind of thing that we need a real leader to inspire the people to want to serve. I was in. Remember, I was still in the United States Marine Corps in 1973 when we decided that we're not going to draft anymore. Thank you, Richard Nixon. Lyndon Johnson sent my brother and me off to Vietnam, and Richard Nixon brought us home. And R- Richard Nixon is the guy that said hey, we're not going to draft anymore in 1973. Everybody thought the armed forces would collapse. By 1980, we had the finest military in the world. And it stayed that way because people in the Oval Office, no matter what party they were in, and people in the Armed Forces Committees, of both the House and the Senate, ensured that we got the very best equipment we possibly could. How is it that communist China and Russia now have hypervelocity weapons that can deliver death and destruction in this country, and we can't stop them? How is
2: that? I don't know.
16: They cut the budget. They cut the budget for those programs. The the very first time hypervelocity weapons were were looked at was under the previous Obama administration, not this extension of it. Okay, they cut the budget for it. And when President Trump says, we're going to turn it back on again in a secret decision, okay, and they started working on it again, they realized the other guys are way way the hell ahead ahead of us on this thing, and they really are. That's that kind of decision-making that has put this country at, at serious risk, Brian.
2: Uh, Colonel, you, of- you understand I'm up against a break, but I think you yeah, agree okay. with this final statement, that this is one of the finest fighting forces of any generation. They deserve so much better on the back of their baseball card by the way Joe Biden chose to end it, and I don't think they should feel at all mm-hmm. down about what they did and how they served and what they sacrificed. Just Spot on, on.
16: Spot on. Absolutely right. God bless this country for having young Americans who are willing to serve in harm's way and protect us from all the evil that's out there.
2: And anybody and that served with our men and women no. or against us understand what I said is 100% true. Yep. They understand what, how the adjustments were made in the battlefield from the technological standpoint to the human standpoint. And I'm still in awe of it as people unwind it in a pedestrian way because I didn't serve— to me, I can imagine you covered as a reporter, and then you fought there uh, as a Marine, Colonel. Thanks so much.
16: Bless you, buddy. Goodbye. You Semper got it. You got for it. our
2: country. And pick up his latest book, "The Giant Awakes," uh, a, a Jake Cruz novel. That is Colonel Alvin North. Back in a moment.
1: Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show, a radio show like no other. It's
4: Brian Kilmeade. It just felt great to throw a no-hitter in the championship game of the first ever Metro region, and I just am so happy that we're here.
2: What's it been like since, Joey? All the attention. It's been
4: great. Our entire team representing New York, the Metro, Long Island, Massapequa, it been great.
2: And that is Joey Lilianetti, the 12-year-old who had nine Ks and threw a no-hitter to put Massapequa into the Williamsport, Pennsylvania, Little League World Series, first Long Island team since 1978, first time in their 72-year history. Get this. If anyone has kids in sports, you know that the, the model now is, to, you know, parents don't coach. Give, it to, give you money to trainers. You don't have enough money for a trainer. Your kids got to almost drop out. These are all volunteer coaches uh, in Massapequa, New York. And uh, they were able to break through like this. And then you watch them on ESPN do what they do. They kill. Most of the people they're playing are a lot bigger. They grab from a much wider area. This is just one small town who plays great fundamental baseball. I mean, this they've had two defensive stops on ESPN's top ten. Now they're going to play on Friday. Uh, they're going to play on Friday and... Uh, They will guarantee two games. Uh, If they win those two games, they can have one loss, the way it works out in these brackets. But once you win the American side, then you play the best in the world, of the Caribbean and Taiwan and all these other uh, great nations are playing each other, and then you'll see it on the Little League World Series. So this has become America's team. They say people will find out they're cheering for them when they find out how small the town is and how much they've already overcome uh, so now they keep your eye on them in Williamsport. I know a lot of you live for it. Some of you ignore it. This is the one year to pay attention. And congratulations to all those coaches and all those parents. That's a massive peak with Coach Little League. Uh, all the other teams are great, too, but this is a first. When we come back, Brett Bear. speaking of great.
1: The more you listen... The more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
7: What about her emails? Do Democrats now believe that that mishandling of classified information is as serious as we should all think it is? We should think it's serious when Hillary does it. When uh, you know she had seven top secret emails on uh, conversations on her server, she had declassifying authority. We should have thought that was serious. We should think this is serious. This is but no, it's different,
5: partisan though.
2: Not really. Uh, that is it. And maybe what whataboutism is effective here. Brett Baer has been all over this, was grabbed from his uh, few days off at your mom's birthday party to help us out on One Nation. I appreciate that. Uh, Chief political anchor for Fox News, which means you have to come on even without a tie when news breaks. Brett Baer, welcome back. <laughs> thanks, man. Hey, they, uh, thanks for helping us out on Friday. That really helped. Um, so I, I appreciate it over the weekend. So, sure. Brett, uh, what has changed since we spoke? Now we find out that there was uh, classified information, maybe the highest classified information. Uh, there are 27 boxes, 11 classified, four documents were marked top secret. Evidently, something was marked TS slash SCI, which was the highest level. But we still don't understand why uh, enforcing a subpoena wouldn't have been more effective.
17: Yeah, I think there's still the timeline that's the biggest problem. But the classification, um, we've heard a lot of different things from the term folks. One, he de- declassified it all. Two, they didn't know what was in the boxes. Three, it was protected. But the biggest problem is the timeline uh, when they get the first subpoena uh, and what happens in between there to the search warrant and uh, what we saw last week. So, we're in the same spot. It's just that uh, we have yet to see the affidavit that gets us to that search warrant.
2: I have not seen this. Maybe you have. They say the Trump lawyers, now former lawyers, told them that all, material, all the material was removed and they signed, paper, they signed a paper saying that all the, paper, all, the, all the papers that were taken from the White House were given back. Do you know that to be true?
17: I don't know that to be true, Uh, and I also don't know that some uh, White House lawyer signed off on the papers uh, arriving in Mar-a-Lago. And, you know, where were they in Mar-a-Lago? You know, there was a a secure facility for uh, getting briefings and documents a SCIF at Mar-a-Lago when the president was president, Uh, And it continued. So it's not like they were in a broom closet, I don't think. But we don't have all that detail.
2: Right. Uh, A couple of things. When the I think it's unexplored. Maybe um, you know better. Who told everyone to pick up what to remove? Like the GSO had to sign off on this stuff. The GAO had to sign off on this. And then you watch people walk in with, you know, cardboard filing cabinets and they're putting it into Marine One. Who decided that? You know, how was it taken out? 15 boxes were immediately given up in January. What were those 15 boxes? Was the president like, yeah, I don't know who put them there. Uh, could we go back to those days that the president actually walk into a huge room and say, I want that one, that one, that one and that one. So do we do you think that process is worthy of exploring? A hundred percent. And
17: usually the declassification process involves the White House counsel, which is Pat Cipollone. Uh, maybe he testified to the declass process in his testimony to the January 6th committee. We don't know, uh, but there is some documentation of a declassification. It's not there is broad authority, but there has to be some kind of marking of the moment. Uh, it's not just like poof, it's all done. Um, and remember where we were after January 6th, before the inauguration. I would say it's a little chaotic at the White House. So um, going back to that time is going to be important.
2: Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, Trump says he wants his boxes back because some of them have um, paperwork that show attorney-client privilege. So that matters, too, because is the FBI looking at stuff they shouldn't? Uh, He says he actually – not that this means anything to me or you or the audience, but just so you know, they specifically want A14, A26, A13, A33. They go, this was labeled attorney-client privilege, uh, and it was taken anyway. And also it makes one speculate, and I've had FBI agents on, you probably will today as well. When you go in for nine hours, you said you got a tip that says, go in there, you, this paperwork is that We couldn't wait anymore. They took a weekend. They went in. But you're there for nine hours. Some have speculated if you're there for nine hours, you don't know what you're looking for. And you don't know like, where it is. So that also leads to speculation. Why do you need to go through Melania's closet? Which they did. I think it's
17: really broad. If you look at the search warrant, it's every nook and cranny of Mar-a-Lago. It's every place besides guest rooms. It's every place the former president could be, could have stored something, could have been at any time. It's any document from when he was president, from the beginning to the end. I mean, it's not like you are pinpointing a narrow search. Uh, So, yeah, that leads to speculation about what else were they trying to find, or maybe they were – Just seeing what they could find. Nine
2: hours is a long time. Uh, We have Brett Baer on with us now. So the other big story today is one year to the day since the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Congressman Michael McCall has been trying to uh, do an examination of what went wrong. And there was a lot. Got no cooperation from the State Department. But the minority did release a report. Here's a little of it. Cut 22.
9: But there are so many mistakes. The biggest one, Margaret, for me, having lived through it, we're, you know being in the classified space, listening to the uh, intelligence community tell the story about this is going to be imminent it 's going to fall sooner rather than later. The military said it told us the same thing, and then we went to state, and they paint in the White House a very rosy picture there 's a disconnect between you know intelligence on the ground and what the White House is doing. I think, and this report, this says it all, like, there's no way we're going to evacuate embassy personnel from helicopters like we did in Vietnam. And, of course, we know that happened.
2: And it was worse. He says there won't be another Saigon, and it's worse. And some of this video is so horrific running along the plane. Do you think this administration is effectively trying to move past it?
17: Yeah, they're not having a briefing today. They're not having the presidents still in Kiwa Island. Um, there is nothing to talk about it. Of course they want to move past it. But it was really of the foreign policy kind of missteps. Uh it started a avalanche of questioning around the globe, if we do this, what else does it mean for US sticking with allies or, you know, following through.
2: Yeah, uh what sticks out for you, Brett?
17: Well, I think that that mis- miscommunication was really Quite something in those early days. Uh, The fact that, you know, one year ago today, there were Kirby, Admiral Kirby was saying, you know, we have this under control. And days later, um, major cities are falling to the Taliban. uh, And the allies are kind of leaving. Um, The air cover had stopped. So it changed the dynamic immediately. And then we leave Bagram Air Base. I think leaving Bagram was the biggest. The biggest thing,
2: uh, Brett. The last thing was the president of the United States is going to be signing. I imagine sometime this week, this uh, this inflation reduction package. How long do we call it that? And how soon till we can switch to climate change package?
17: Well, they're already starting. They're going to have cabinet members around the country pitching it as a climate change energy bill. Um, it was only called the inflation reduction act to get past Congress or that you know, during that week. In reality, it doesn't do any of that. So I think, you know, you saw some of that this weekend with the White House Press Secretary trying to field questions from John Carl on ABC. And um, it, it's just not, it doesn't work that way. So uh, the question is how much is it going to make a difference and how fast does it change things ahead of the midterms? That's a really big question.
2: Uh, Brett, a lot on your plate today. Were you able to – How was your mother's birthday okay? Did you end up in, enjoying it all?
17: Yeah, the Big 75. We had the whole family together, played some golf. It was great. We did not cross paths with the Bidens, although we kind of cut off to go a couple different ways. But um, Secret Service and the Bidens were very separate from where we were, and uh, we had a great weekend.
2: It's so interesting that you both are there at the same time. Well, happy birthday to your mom. She did a great job with her sons. Brad, have a great show tonight. <laughs> See you, buddy. You got it. one 866 7669 When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, a few things. We're going to talk about uh, more to know. I want to give an idea of what else is going on besides the big three. Also, to give you an idea of what a big deal I think Afghanistan is, Mike McCall was actually bursting out of his suit yesterday in trying to explain what was wrong. What really drove him nuts is they said this was partisanship and they they picked and chose excerpts of what happened in Afghanistan to fit their own narrative. Nothing could have been uh, more wrong uh, because we all know what happened there. And I've talked to other people. The administration left people behind by the thousands and we're still trying to get them out. Cut twenty one is
9: Michael McCall. There was a complete lack of, and a failure to plan. There was no plan, and it was there was no plan executed. The State Department probably didn't have the resources it needed to carry out an evacuation of this size. And in Normandy, they had thirty six consular officers at H trying to process hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, they were overwhelmed. Yeah. <sighs>
2: They told everybody to leave the State Department, told everyone to leave the embassy. There was a thought that they could have stayed in the embassy. It was fully stacked and it was staffed, and they could have continued to process things. Remember, Bardar called back to the White House, to, to the Pentagon. And they said, what do you want us to do? Do you want to secure Kabul or do you want us to? And he said, we only want the airport. That is a fact. So because we have the airport, we have to depend on the Taliban to code the perimeter. What the Taliban was saying is they're going to ruin, they're going to burn Kabul to the ground. I can't stand on the outside. To their credit, they call back. Now, if Trump was on the other end of the phone, do you think for a second he would have said, oh, whatever you want to do, or Pompeo, oh, whatever you want. I'll just take the airport. Do you think for a second, you know why I know it's not true? Pompeo's a military guy, number one. The West Point guy would never give up a country. Number two, Donald Trump wouldn't want to be the president of the United States. They turned the country over to the Taliban. I didn't want, want to talk to them without... Ghani and the presence of the Afghan government. No doubt about it. I thought that was a mistake. Khalilzad, a lot of his uh, a lot of the things he conceded was a mistake. He said he was doing what the administrations wanted him to do. But the ultimate deal was absolutely awful. And the ultimate result could not have been worse. And it resulted not only 13 dying Americans dying, but over 100 civilians just waiting to leave, many of which were American citizens, dual citizenships or allies of ours. Crazy, right? Hey, uh, if you want to see me on stage, and I hope you do, go to BrianKilmeade.com. See you in Albany September 8th. A few tickets left. Uh, I want to see everyone out there. And special thanks to KXEX, 1550 AM in Fresno, California, for joining the show.
1: A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, thanks so much for listening all show long. Hey, don't forget, uh, don't be afraid to go to com, especially if you live in the Albany area or if you can drive there. I cannot wait to get back on stage September 8th, be able to talk about all my books, America Great from the Start, History, a thousand people at a time telling our real story. Not perfect, but trying to be, as well as answer your questions about the news, Fox, and, and that's what I had the most fun in, at the end being able to do that with my good friend uh, Pat O'Rourke, stand-up comedian, to open things up in a red, white, and blue way, and the MC Rick Thatcher. So let's get to the big—let's get find out if, indeed, there's more to know.
1: More to know.
2: Well, good news. Salman Rushdie is on the road to recovery, his agent confirmed that Sunday. The announcement following news that uh, the writer was removed from a ventilator Saturday because he was almost stabbed to death by this idiot called Zafar uh, Rushdie— excuse me, Andrew Wiley— Wait, do we have the name of the guy who actually stabbed him? Because he used a phony name. Uh, But this guy's been basically running for his life for the last 25 years. Thought he was okay. Thought he'd give a nice speech. The fight was still in existence, thanks to Iran. They cheered it officially. They didn't, but you know they did. Uh, His son, uh, Rushdie's son, released a statement saying, "We're so grateful to all the audience members who bravely leapt to the defense of uh, and gave first aid to his dad and the doctors that were involved. He got stabbed in the neck. He got stabbed in the abdomen." He's about to, he could, in fact, lose an eye, uh, but at 75 years old, looks like he's going to be okay. Next, the U.K. rising cost of living forced Britons to part ways with pets. That's a little desperate, don't you think? The cost of living, yeah, the inflation's gone up, but pet and animal shelters say they're experiencing record increase for cat and dogs because the trend comes in the country's really from rising bills. I guess if you got to feed them, you've got to give them up, perhaps. They say, um, for on average, U.K. households has lost 4,000. Three hundred dollars a year. Next, you write what you know. Lisa Kudrow disagrees with people who are uh, talking about Friends should have been more diverse. So, Lisa Kudrow, who who was uh, one of the stars of uh, one of the stars of Friends, uh, there was, was claims by uh, Friends creator Marta uh, Marta Kaufman uh, explaining that the creators have no business writing for the point of view of people of color. Asked in a recent interview about her view of the beloved show's diversity, says, I feel like it was a show created by two people who went to Brandeis and wrote about their lives from college and after college. And for shows, especially when it comes to comedy, that character-driven, you write what you know. They have no business writing stories about the experiences of being a person of color. I think at the time, the big problem was that I see was, where was the apprenticeship? Okay, I got it. But I also think it's important to understand that there's maybe half the country that feels a certain way, and there's another half a country that feels... Uh, That does not watch them, and whatever they say makes sense to them. Earlier this summer, Kaufman pledged to donate four million dollars to her fund, an endowment to chair positions in the African American Studies Department at her alma mater, and that's Brandeis University. So she's under criticism for not being diverse enough as a cast. They would probably not make friends today. That's the bottom line Uh, not make the series friends. Next, New Orleans inmates barricaded themselves in a pod making demands including books tv and they want to be able to watch the saints the office of orleans parish sheriff susan hudson told fox that the residents of the highly secure pod 2e are refusing to enter their cells and comply with the officer's commands to remove barricades from entryways in the pod sheriff's deputies are going to employ the best practices to de-escalate the situation look a lot of them white collar crimes non-threatening crimes I think you should have some quality of life behind bars. And watching the Saint games, I don't think is out of control, unless there's a problem gambling. I don't know, gambling for what? Aspirin, blankets. Next, Mariah Carey's Atlanta home was burglarized while she was on vacation. Uh, page six says that Carey was busy on vacation in Capri, Italy, uh, and at a twenty million dollar mansion in the Ham- uh, uh and luxuriating at a twenty million dollar mansion of the Hamptons. Uh, When it was shot at the Hamptons, her Atlanta home was burglarized. Police have confirmed the break-in, but tell us that this is still an open investigation. The information may be limited. Carrie's reps did not respond to the request. Carrie, meanwhile, spent last month in Italy with boyfriend Brian Tanaka. I don't know. Is he famous? Pictures of the group were all over the place. Next, Michael Jordan's worn 1998 NBA Finals jersey could fetch $3 million at auction. Uh, Sotheby's auction says it's a rare piece. Jordan's 1998 uh, finale in Game One jersey is among the most highly desired pieces the sports memorabilia, and the present uh, example is one of just two final jerseys to ever appear on auction. Uh, and come after uh, come September 6th, you you'll get your chance to bid on it. I will bid on it, but I most likely will lose.
14: You're not going to. They're saying it'll sell around three million. So how high
2: will you go? I don't know. Is it worth more if he washed it or didn't? you want the true authenticity yeah. of what it's like to Jordan be Michael on it, but uh-huh. no one wants to go in the room in which we have it, his jersey framed. Next, Prince Harry's underwear from Naked Las Vegas Pictures scores $250,000 bid. It only took a few minutes for the bidding to skyrocket. $10,000 opening bid to $16,000 before the strip club owner from San Diego called to place a bid for $250,000. It's not a typo. Uh, Dino, uh, who is the strip club owner, I guess he's going to go by that. Uh, says he plans to create a shrine for Harry's undies if he ends up winning the auction. The live portion of the auction went down to Larry Flint's Hustler Club, uh, where Carrie claims Prince Harry dropped uh, by doing their Wild Time in Las Vegas. He was a fun guy at that point.
14: Yeah, but just think about this though: if you can't go to three million for Jordan's uh, jersey, but one third
5: less, right? You can get the undies. <laughs> yeah, but Prince one everyone Harry.
2: wants, and everyone, well, the other one, everyone, including Harry wants to go away outside there's some type of I don't know weird thing to put in a bar I believe that should go away would you want
5: those washed or do you want them clean no
2: no comment